Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. When we reflect on recent years, we can see that there have been seismic shifts in the way that organizations approach their people strategies. Advances in technology, talent shortages, and changing employee expectations have all left organizations asking a fundamental question. How do we plan for the future? So today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jeff Schwartz and Jeroen Wells, two leading visionaries in the future of work. With their combined experience, forward-thinking perspectives, and astute analyses, they are here to provide some thought-provoking advice on how organizations can start developing their people strategies for the future world of work. We'll be discussing the past, present, and future of the talent marketplace its place in the new workforce ecosystem that is evolving, and the opportunities presented by the shift towards skills-based organisations. So without further ado, let's jump right in and start the discussion with Jeff and Yurin. Jeroen, Jeff, it's wonderful to welcome you both to the show. Jeroen for the second time, Jeff for the first time. Today's episode is, is as you both have a really deep understanding of the talent marketplace. But before we get started, could could you tell listeners a little bit about yourselves? Jeroen, I'll come to you first. Okay. Hi, David. Hi, Jeff. Nice to meet both of you uh, again, actually. I'll keep it very short. I was 20 years in uh, Unilever as the EVP HR for Beauty Person Care, as well as the Chief uh, Talent Officer. And I recently started, like you nicely said, the uh, uh, People at Work Innovation Collective to accelerate innovation in HR, particularly humanizing technology. And I'm excited to be here today. Well, it's great to, great to have you back on the show, Jeroen. And Jeff? Great, David and Jeroen, thank you very much. So as you said, I'm the Vice President of Insights and Impact at Gloat. I joined Gloat after 20 years as a senior partner in human capital um, at Deloitte. In addition to all this uh, great work I do at uh, GLOAD, uh, I've also written a couple of books. I uh, wrote a book called Work Disrupted, came out in 2021, very well-timed in retrospect, and I have a book coming out with colleagues at uh, MIT, Sloan Management Review, and uh, Deloitte on workforce ecosystems coming out um, uh, in April, and I also uh, teach both MBA students and executive ed on future of work at Columbia Business School. So uh, very busy and and really looking forward to today's discussion. So, so Jeff, staying with you, you know, as you mentioned when we, we spoke last week, you know, to fully understand the concept of the, or to, to, to fully understand what the future of the talent marketplace is, we need to rewind, press play uh, before we fast forward. So so if we go back to 2015, when, when Globe, or shall we say Worky, um, as it was uh, known at the time, was first founded. What have you learned as an organization over the years about about building talent marketplaces? No, I, I love this question. And um, my first degree actually is in history. Then I went on and got an MBA and a master's in economics. So I, I think going back to the history is extremely valuable. In 2015, 2016, when Worky was started by our founders, they were looking at another very common problem which is, uh, in, in the case of Worky, uh, the former name of Gloat, how could they help engineers and, and technical workers in Israel find jobs uh, with global tech companies? And they, they set up uh, an algorithm and a set of uh, websites 
that help people do that. Think of it as, as a dating site for um, helping engineers find jobs. Um, others were doing that as well. A couple of years into it, through a number of conversations, and you're in, I think we'll talk about the experience that he had with that team at Unilever, we, we came upon this very interesting idea. And, and it's a radical idea, but it's a real shift, which is, can we take the dynamics of a marketplace, which is what a, a, a dating site or a job board was in a sense, and can we bring that inside the organization? And this was a very big shift because historically, and actually for most companies today, HR and talent processes are administrative processes, right? They are run by HR managers and executives. There's relatively little agency choice that employees have other than joining the company. And once they join, they get on a pretty, uh, and almost call it an escalator or a ladder type career. So it was in sort of 2017, 2018, that Globe began to co-design with Unilever and Schneider Electric and other companies what um, we call the talent marketplace. In 2019, uh, when we started a, a series of uh, research at MIT and Deloitte on the future of the workforce, we, we were looking at really new issues and new trends that were coming up. And one of the, probably the biggest one that we found was the whole idea of a talent marketplace. Uh, we also called it an opportunity marketplace. But I think one of the reasons it's become so popular and in demand is it actually allows us to take a different approach to building and using both the skills and the interest of the workforce. It's a very different model. I'd summarize it by saying, think of a marketplace model versus an administrative model. And hopefully we don't have to argue for a long time as to why markets or even managed markets are better than administrative um, strategies and organizations. I think that's where we are today. And I'll, 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 uh, I'll kick it back to you and Urine. Yeah, I, well, I, th I don't think you're going to get any dissension there that markets are better than administrative process. And and I guess what it, before I come to you, Rune, I guess what it what it did, Je Jeff, is it kind of transformed the whole way that we thought about internal mobility. So internal mobility before was, you know, you you're working in a in a job effectively. You either get the tap on the shoulder, um, or you apply for a job internally and you move to another job with a different manager. Whereas the the talent marketplace is is building some much more flexibility around that, allowing people to take on additional work, additional projects that that support their their interests, as you said, Jeff, and but also um, relate to the skills that they've got, which they either are already using in their in their current role, but maybe not using um, as well. So it kind of creates that it made it a bit more fluid. I think that's right. And let me let me add one one comment here. It is a shift. It's not just an acceleration. We talk a lot about acceleration um, and shifts. The talent marketplace is a shift. It is a different mindset. It is a different way of operating talent and skills and projects and jobs and careers in an organization. And because it is a shift, because it is a mindset shift, one of my favorite quotes, and, and David and Jordan, you probably know I, I love quotes, is the quote from Albert Einstein who said, you can't use an old map to explore a new world. And I don't think you can expect our legacy HR systems to provide the maps for the shift to talent marketplaces. And it is a different way of thinking. It is a different way of operating. It's new technology, it's new processes. And of course, none of us would be surprised that in order to make that kind of shift, 
um, we need, there's a lot of transformation and change management involved because we're not used to operating in a marketplace way of working. We're used to HR and careers being administratively managed and administratively driven. So that combination of tech and process and change is absolutely central to what we've seen over the last couple of years as well. And and you ring going to turn to you a bit for the practitioner perspective. If you put your former former hat on, you know, during your time at Unilever, as as Jeff has already said, you were one of the early adopters of the talent marketplace with with Glow and actually helped them shape uh, the direction of, of the product as well, in, in, uh, particularly in the early days. You know, how did the talent marketplace support the business and people strategy at Unilever prior to 2020? We'll, we'll talk about the pandemic in a minute. And then during, and, and actually also then during the most intense phases of, of the pandemic. Yeah, thanks. Uh, actually, when I met uh, Worky for the first time, around the same time as Jeff uh, met him, I, uh, they pitched to us and say, hey, we've got here new technology and we're helping external recruiting to become a little bit smarter. And I started to ask myself a question, but what problem do you actually solve for? You are taking out the middleman, which is helpful. You bring costs down, very helpful. But the big problem is actually that you need to develop people. And why don't you bring therefore your technology inside the company? Because then you really solve for a big problem, which is how can we faster up and reskill people? How can we give them more new experiences? And we got to the understanding uh, ourselves that we needed to democratize the opportunities that we were giving to people. And that was something very different than taking out a middleman. In a way, you took out a middleman called HR or the middleman called uh, the line manager. But we wanted to create visibility so that people could follow their dreams, but not only follow their dreams, but also building the skills that they require to stay relevant for the company. Uh, and then this idea of a talent marketplace was, uh, was born, and we started to develop that from MVP, helped to scale it up in Unilever in several stages. And then the pandemic came. And in the pandemic, we realized uh, as Unilever that we really needed to step up uh, agility because parts of the business did not have a business at all. Think about the part of the business that serves the restaurants. They were really closing down. And other parts of the business, think about hand hygiene, they couldn't keep up with the demand. And the demand was actually life-saving. So then we raised a campaign to support this agility to shift resources in the company and the campaign was called raise a hand when you need it and lend a hand when you have availability, when you're temporarily without uh, work, but you find meaningful uh, whilst we're trying to weather the storm of this uh, pandemic. So all of a sudden we saw the potential, the real potential of the telemarketplace because it was an enabler for agility, an enabler to shift resources and keep people relevant much faster than you could otherwise do. And at the same time, you could develop people. So it was a beautiful marriage of business and people that could both benefit from a talent marketplace. And I think those are the dynamics that uh, Jeff was uh, was talking about in a much more sophisticated way that I could uh, I could do it. That really helped Unilever to make a big step into becoming more agility without adopting fully new ways of working, but just creating the mindset that should go where the biggest value of the company is. And and before we sort of move to where talent marketplaces today and, and moving forward, moving into the future as well. Again, this question for both of you, and maybe Yuruna come to you first again. You know, a lot of there's a bit of a misconception that talent marketplace is just about technology. I mean, you both, you know, from what you both said so far, that's clearly not the case. What are some of the ingredients that that you need within an organisation 
to actually make this new approach work? And I know last time you were in when we spoke, you mentioned a lot about this isn't about technology, this is about culture. I would actually like to answer this question, Dave, maybe in a way that you uh, that you might not expect. Uh, but the real answer to the question is just start. You don't need anything as long as you start small in a certain group to learn. But of course, when you work with a talent marketplace, when line managers have more visibility to what kind of skills and resources you have in the in the company, and you do the same for people, you will have to adjust your policies to that. You'll have to create mindset in pockets where that is not normal or where people have to think about flexibility and agility in a different way. In other parts of your organization, it will go much faster. So I think that um, what is what is really important is that you just start with doing it and play around with it. But then as you learn and you get to that tipping point of 15 to 20% of the organization using the talent marketplace, then you need to pause. And then you really need to think hard about how were we doing talent management? How were we doing learning? How were we doing upskilling and reskilling? And what is it in our policies that actually is going to put constraints in place to let the talent marketplace uh, flourish? I will be very careful with strategizing too much of uh, this is what we now need to change unless you have experienced where the value sits in the talent marketplace for your company. Because the value is very different depending on your business situation, whether that is driving retention, whether that is stepping up, upskilling and reskilling, whether it is introducing uh, agility. There are now so many use cases of where the talent marketplace creates uh, value that I would say, what are your top three value creating initiatives that the talent marketplace can uh, benefit from and then decide what your implementation strategy is, uh, is going to be. And then you always start with what I started this uh, answer with, just to start. Jeff, anything you'd like to, to add to that based on obviously your own experience, but also what you've seen across multiple organizations that are kind of adopted, have adopted talent marketplaces successfully? The, the strategies that we've seen that have worked most effectively have been agile strategies. Now, it's almost funny to say, but there are companies who say we're going to put in a program of workforce agility and we're going to plan it out as if it's a large administrative hierarchical process, which of course doesn't make very much sense at all. But the notion and, and the ideas that Erin um, just talked about, in the same way that when we built Gloat, we built an MVP and then we co-designed it with customers and then we've uh, built it out over the last five or six years um, into a very robust platform with a set of um, change enablement uh, and implementation programs. I think, and I'm picking on what picking up what Jürgen was saying, I think that's where Gloat customers and talent marketplace customers have seen real value, which is they get started, they take an agile approach. We know that agile means that you get all the different players into that scrum, into that group. You've got obviously the the, the process and program leaders, the change leaders, the business leaders, and the technology leaders or, or experts. They're all on the team. They're working together towards very specific objectives for the MVP or the goals within the organization. That approach has worked extremely well. And then companies have said, how do we expand that MVP? How do we take this broader, the, some of that pause moment that Urin talked about? What's interesting about this is companies that have taken the agile approach, and and, and Urin, I'm sure, will have things to add, have found that they, they started with one or two business goals that they were trying to achieve. 
but relatively quickly said, well, wait a minute, in addition to doing project work, we can use this for jobs. In addition to jobs, we can use this for mentors. Well, wait a minute, we've created a marketplace. Marketplaces are the most amazing source of information of any institution that we ever built. So, so what we began to see and our customers saw was that the marketplace was a skills insight and information engine, right? So by starting with an agile approach, getting these different groups together, building for specific business objectives, and then following that trajectory. And if you, as I talk with Glow Talent Marketplace and workforce intelligence companies and clients around the world, the diversity of their journeys is really fascinating. And you're an, I, I mean, you, you've seen this, and I know we were at Glow Live together um, in November, and I think that was one of the themes of what we heard from many of the people who are on these implementation journeys. In today's world of work, there is no new normal. With everything from where we work to what we need to work on constantly changing, it can be impossible to figure out how to retain, develop, deploy, and adapt your workforce. So where do you go to get the answers? Probably not your HCM or another static database. You need real-time, meaningful data and a way to act fast. That's where Gloat comes in. Gloat's workforce agility platform bridges the gap between getting the information you need to make decisions and taking action. You get workforce intelligence to help you adapt and evolve your workforce while unlocking the potential of your employees with a talent marketplace. Sound too good to be true? Gloat is working at scale with the world's leading employer brands like HSBC, Novartis and Nestle to help them cut costs, drive productivity increases, increase innovation and speed to market, and to design a future fit workforce. Find out how at gloat.com. That's G-L-O-A-T dot com. As we hopefully come out on the other side of the pandemic, um, you know, we're now confronted with the paradoxical combination of economic headwinds and talent scarcity, although the the figures that came out from the G7, uh, about the G7 countries today, were a little bit more positive, unless you have to be in the UK like me. This means, I suspect, that the, the three of us may share a similar hypothesis that this makes talent marketplaces even more important. Jeff, what, what guidance would you offer listeners on the, on the role and relevant, relevance of the talent marketplace has, for example, on redeployment um, and the restructuring of the workforce? I, I, this sort of, I have two perspectives on this question, David and Jeroen. One is, uh, and I know we very briefly talked about uh, the power of talent marketplaces in uh, the pandemic. I, I mentioned earlier the, in the discussion the research that we did at MIT and Deloitte we produced this report in April of, of 2020 on opportunity and talent marketplaces. And then in June, we actually wrote an article on how companies were using talent marketplaces to, in an agile way, adapt and respond to the the imbalances they saw in COVID-19. And you're, you put it extremely well. I mean, one of our clients at, at um, uh, Gene Peltier at Schneider Electric has said many times, look, when uh, the pandemic hit, half of our employees were overworked and half of them were underworked. And we did not have the administrative capability 
to redeploy in real time. So we put the foot on the accelerator in the talent marketplace, and we use that to move work and people around in a way that we simply could not do through administrative processes. I think that what we all experienced during the COVID era, and I'll go back to your question, I think we are transitioning beyond the COVID era in 2023, is that some of what we learned in the early days of COVID and through COVID, which is the importance of adaptability, the role that talent marketplaces play in adaptability, I think also the role that they played in helping us create growth opportunities in companies for employees through what became known as the Great Resignation. One of the CHROs of one of our clients, Patricia Frost at Seagate, um, said at, at Gloat Live, but she's also said several times, that at Seagate Technologies, we didn't have the same experience of the great resignation, meaning our employees weren't leaving to go to outside opportunities because we had a platform that with Glow that enabled them to find opportunities inside, right? And I think these two challenges, the challenges of constantly changing work, the need for new skills, and the desire of employees to have as many possible opportunities for growth inside their company as outside, is more relevant or as relevant to 2023 as it was in 2020 or 21 or 22. So I, I mean, I think this is a really interesting time and I'll, I'll make one other point on, on this question. 2023 is probably the first time in three years that business and HR leaders have an opportunity to set a direction that isn't overwhelmingly being driven by responding to the external world. Right. What I mean by this is like in the pandemic, we had to respond to the pandemic, right? Do we have economic headwinds? By the way, we always have economic headwinds and tailwinds. There's no, there's no question about that. But in 2023, I think business and HR leaders have a fundamental set of questions around direction. In 2023, are we going to zoom out and think about where we want to be in 2030 and set that course in 2023 so that we are on a really good growth at trajectory and path. Are we going to turn around and try to go back to where we were? And there are some people who were talking about the path forward is the path backward. Or some people are saying, look, it's 2023. Jeff, David, you're in, we're just tired. Can we just take a breather in 2023? <laughs> and can we, and we pick up the future in 2024? So I think this is the year that business and HR leaders really have the opportunity to set that course. And, and pick up many of the lessons we learned around agility. And I think this is very relevant for the whole restructuring question, because what we do with our current workforce, and this is, I think, the premise of the skill-based economy question, how we build skills and potential of our current workforce to help us to do the things that we need to do and create meaningful careers is really front and center. And that's what the talent marketplace discussion and movement, I think, is fundamentally about in 2023. I may add to that, uh, David, if you're okay with, with that, because I, I like the way that Jeff uh, says it. And uh, if I translate that to how strategic the talent marketplace can be for HR functions to really demonstrate where they can add value over a longer point of time, and it is about this, I, I would not even call it responsible restructuring but just anticipating for the skills gaps that you have, not only this year, but the year after and the year thereafter, because your strategies are often three years out. So you should know 
what the core capabilities are that you are going to build. Uh, we know what the numbers are in terms of the skill shortages that we have. Numerous studies have been uh, already thrown uh, at us, yet we are a little bit slow in responding. And why are we slow in responding? Because you see, still see, and, and I bet that everybody who listens into the podcast today could get those numbers from his own company. If you look over any kind of rolling 12 or 18 months, uh, the chances are high that you're recruiting as many people into your company as that you've laid off. And maybe there's some differences here and there during certain periods. But that's a little bit crazy, isn't it? So the amount of money that you spend in recruiting and every person that you recruit in is going to cost you at least six months of salary. Imagine that you allow much more flexibility for people to find new jobs and you support them with small budgets to upskill them, to train them up to perform in those jobs. Let them have a lead time of three or six months to perform. What kind of huge problem of upskilling and reskilling and preparing yourself as a company for your future capabilities do you have? And it doesn't have to be at a large multinational scale globally. Pick out the pocket where the transformation is going to hit you uh, hardest, but anticipate and have a strategic view. There's so much, uh, I say, budget or money available to enable that. Uh, and that links into what Jeff was saying. Think forward and then think backwards what you can do with a telemarketplace to achieve your midterm strategic goals. What are some of the other innovations that that, that you are seeing, or you, or do you expect to see, um, in our uh, in our space related to that shift towards skills and and the possibilities that are afforded through the talent marketplace? Hopefully, this leads to an invitation for another podcast, uh, David, because I'm really excited about what I see working with uh, various multinationals on what I call a digital HR safari, exploring what startups are building on propositions. So I'm, I'm trying to redo what we did with Gloat uh, uh, five, six years ago. So we're looking at startups and scale-ups that bring new technology, or better said, that apply technology that exists to accelerate value. And a lot is about actually value creation rather than efficiency building, what I see in those startups. And I looked at more than 75 in the last, uh, last three, four months. And, and there are two or three that I, I really would like to call out, and they're all related to the, to the talent marketplace, because we've built now an internal talent marketplace. And my dream has always been, what if you could connect external talent marketplaces to the internal talent marketplaces, whether that is through the uh, MSPs and you tap into the freelance talent pools that you have or not. Uh, but I'm very hopeful that that is creating even more opportunity for people not only within your company, but also outside of your company. So imagine that you've got your MS Teams or you've got your Slack and you know which work process you're working on and you've got with two clicks access to internal and external talent that you dynamically can place on your teams because you know what kind of skills they have. I think that is hugely um, beneficial to both the talent as well as the, uh, as the companies. And I think we're very close to uh, realizing that. We just need to have a couple of the Microsofts and the Slacks that pick up this innovative idea and start engineering for the, uh, for the solution. And if you then think forward, if that is going to happen, and I think it is going to happen, imagine that we could use the blockchain to create digital skill and experiences credential wallets that is basically a wallet that you own as a uh, candidate, as a talent, as a human being, you own what you want to disclose to companies or to your own company when you're going to apply to your jobs. And it's all verified on the blockchain. So it becomes a transportable digital wallet 
worked with a uh, and looked into a company called uh, Velocity that have made fantastic uh, strides towards realizing this uh, this future. And they've got a couple of experiments uh, with banks in the Netherlands and in other areas where they really try to break down those uh, barriers so that talent can flow. Can you imagine in a bank and in the banking sector how many credential checks need to take place before people can shift from one bank to the other or actually can take on a job given all the heavy governance that is taking place. So I think that's, that's a big future. And the last one is, uh, if I can mention companies here as well, by the way, David, I didn't check that with you, but they deserve it. It's another startup called Tescorilla. What they do is they say, forget about uh, a job opening or job posting that you have on a job board where you're going to describe anything else than the skills. What they do is they say, we offer up uh, to select five skills that are critical for a job that people can on the spot do tests on. Then you get a list of candidates, of let's say 500 candidates, and you take the ones that ranked highest on those five skills. You invite them for an interview and then are going to look at their CVs. Now that is going to accelerate the skill-based organization, but if you take it even one step further, if you do that in an internal talent marketplace as well, so that you strengthen the insights on the skills that you have, but also if you then democratize it further and allow people to do all kinds of skill tests of 10, 50 minutes, then all of a sudden it doesn't matter anymore what kind of job you've done really because you've proven that you've got the skills or that you are maybe a little bit more competitive than somebody else on, uh, on a skill level. Now that will accelerate the skill-based organization massively in conjunction with a telemarketplace that helps you to match the right people to the right opportunity at the right time. So those are just a couple of um, innovations that I see, and I can actually go on and on because I'm very excited about it. But um, yeah, maybe you should talk about that in, uh, in another time. Well, well I'm going to give Jeff an opportunity to to respond to that and maybe add to that as well. Jeff, I've, I'm going to pull up the comment you made. You, you suggested that 2023 could be the year where you know uh, talent leaders, business leaders start thinking a bit more forward thinking about 2030. We've got the opportunity to do that now. It'd be interesting in the context of what Jeroen said, why you believe that to be the case, and what do you think this means for, for HR leaders listening to this podcast? And, and and I think this might give you an opportunity to use uh, introduce some of the ideas that are going to be in the Workforce Ecosystems book as well. This is a great discussion, and hopefully our listeners will enjoy it and, and be engaged in it as, um, as well. I'll make one uh, comment, and then I'll sort of give five yeses to what I heard Jeroen talking about. One of the one of the expressions that I have been exploring and using in discussions in the last few months is that um, I, I've talked about the Einstein quote too: "You can't explore an old world with a uh, you can't explore a new world with an old map." But uh, the sort of corollary to that is to to change the game, you need to make game changing moves. And and I think that in 2023, it, it is absolutely time to to do that. I think that, again, we're not pinned down by the pandemic in the way that we were in previous years. And if you were, you know, we have the opportunity and responsibility as business and HR leaders to to chart a course forward in this year. But I, I, I think it's imperative, I don't know how else to say it, that to set priorities for 2023, we have the opportunity to really zoom out and think about where we want to be in 2030. And we know that where we're going to be in 2030 is just fundamentally different than we all thought in 2019, right? So, so this is the time to do that reframing and that calibration. So, 
So yes to five things that I heard um, that Yaron has been talking about. And this is something that Tanuj talked about in her podcast with you from Standard Chartered. Every company is looking at moving from sunset jobs to sunrise jobs. That's a way of saying that the nature of work and jobs and skills is changing very, very fast. The half-life of skills has fallen. Talent marketplaces, and Tanoosh puts it extremely well in your conversation with her, has been fundamental to the way that they've done the analysis and moved from understanding what the sunset jobs are, what the sunrise jobs are, and how to engage employees in different ways to sort of move in and, and to do reskilling. Yes to the idea that the skill-based economy is a major new way of thinking. We weren't talking about this three years ago, four years ago. I don't think I heard it. It was only in the last year or two that the work from Ravin and John Boudreau and, and Sue Cantrell and Michael Griffiths have really put it center stage. And what they've pointed out to us is that the job is no longer the only unit of analysis for the way we think about talent management. And the job, Sue Kentrell puts it very well, is getting pulled in two directions. It's being fragmented, it's being taskified, so that gives us different ways of organizing work. But it's also being broadened and made into projects, and project and team-based works are becoming more important. So yes to recognizing that we need to manage beyond the job. Yes to recognizing that employees fundamentally want growth and opportunity. Right, And then building a skills-based and also an intent-based and aspiration-based system that uses marketplace dynamics, you know, it's just uncovered and unleashed so much in, in organizations. Fourth, and you've asked me to mention the workforce ecosystem, we are in the midst of moving from looking at market dynamics inside the organization. That's where talent marketplaces have focused. Where we're going at Gloat, I think the industry is going as well, is we're going to be applying it not only to current employees, but to future employees. And manage that the people that you're hiring also had visibility into a talent marketplace. And they could see not just the one job that they're applying to, but the multiple jobs and opportunities in your companies. And then, of course, how do we extend that to not only your current and your future employees, but all the people that do work as part of your workforce ecosystem. This is the agenda that's playing out there. And then, and then uh, fifth, yes to the notion that we will have something like blockchain credentialization. I think it's going to be blockchain. Maybe it'll be something else where, as George Gorovich, who's uh, the leader of Velocity Network and Velocity Foundation, talks about, we will be able to have uh, a visible layer of credentials that is controlled by employees um, that can be authenticated in some way. I think we talked earlier when we were starting about let's do a, um, a rewind, play, fast forward discussion. I think we're in the fast forward discussion. What's interesting about this last part of the discussion is everything that you and I are talking about is happening right now somewhere. Right. What we're, you know, this is the William Gibson quote the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. There is nothing that we're talking about that isn't happening somewhere. The challenge for HR leaders is how do you put it into your vision and your plan in 2023 and going forward? To achieve this, you need a combination of tools within your technology ecosystem so that you can manage cost, but also the growth, the agility, the development that we've talked about so we can you know, deliver what our employees are, are increasingly expecting as well. 
Um, so, Jeff, what what does a, an effective HR technology ecosystem look like as we move towards 2030? Which is quite a big question, I know. So, um, I'm, I'm definitely interested in hearing your thoughts on this. I don't know whether people can hear me smiling through a podcast, audio podcast, but I am um, I am smiling. So, uh, it's 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 probably a good question for uh, a full uh, podcast discussion at some point. But I'll, I'll summarize it. I'll try to summarize it this way. Um, the HR technology ecosystem in 2030 is going to be different than the HR technology ecosystem is and that we've brought into the 2020s. Um, I think that the sort of many of the HR technology models that we have, I'll be kind, are running on fumes. Um, I remember when I was at business school, this is a while ago, David and Jürgen, one of my professors telling me that you should never ask a system a question to answer that it wasn't designed to answer. So I, I don't think we can expect that what we build HCM systems to do or ATS systems or LMS systems to do or what we're gonna do. But I'll summarize it this way. I think what we call today HR technology is going to become four or five interrelated fields. One is there will be an area called work tech. And work tech are the tools that we use to actually do our work. I'm not talking about managing the workforce, I'm talking about doing the work. Um, one of the big stories is chat GPT, right? The role of AI in work. This is a very good example of work tech. Everybody in the next several years will be working next to and with a smart machine and a robot. How do we design that work? And work tech is central to that the tools to use digital surgery, the tools to do finance, the tools to do any job that we have in retail, right? This is work tech. The second, of course, is workplace tech. What technology do we have to change the workplace dynamic? We're using that now. We're recording on a digital studio. We're all working in Zoom and Teams, and we are looking at different ways of managing place in work, right? Um, and that's an area that I would call workplace tech. And then I think the third, probably the most important for HR leaders, is what I would call workforce tech. Not HR tech, but workforce tech. Because I think in workforce tech, we're answering several questions. Of course, we're going to answer the fundamental HCM, ATS, and LMS questions. Who are our employees? Where are they? How do we pay their taxes? How do we make payroll happen? Are we in compliance with rules and regulations? Can we do fundamental transactions? We also have a set of similar programs that we call vendor management systems. These are the systems for procurement, the systems for contractors, for gig workers, right? That's the base layer. On top of that layer of in workforce tech, we're building, this is where we are at Gloat, an experience and an opportunity and a marketplace and a skills layer, right? And that's an entirely new layer that is being added both for our current employees and future employees, but also for the external marketplace that we've talked about earlier. So I think we have the opportunity, and this is actually a chapter in the book that we've written on workforce ecosystems, on technology and workforce ecosystems. We talk about work tech, workforce tech, workplace tech. We talk about technology as workers. How do we, in what we used to call HR, and maybe we're not the HR department anymore, maybe we're the capability department, how do we manage capabilities, some of which are people, some of which are machines, some of which are people and machines? 
And then how do we integrate credentialization technologies that we've already mentioned? So I think it's going to be a very interesting time for the HR tech ecosystem. I'm not sure that that the past is prologue. In this case, it may be that that there's some reframing and rethinking that will go on. But that's what makes it so exciting. Because as we go through this reframing of workforce tech and work tech and workplace tech and technology as, as part of the workforce and credentialization, as HR leaders, as capability leaders, we are reframing the impact that we have both for our employees and for the organization. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Well, and Yaroon, I'm going to put it, you've already highlighted a couple of really interesting kind of startups and new technologies that probably fit into some of the, the, the categories there that Jeff's um, outlined as well. And I'm very excited to the way you've outlined that, Jeff. How can HR leaders best evaluate, pilot, and implement some of these tools within within their companies? If I, if I would answer the question my, completely for myself, and then I would say uh, you need to understand how it works. You need to understand how it works for you you need to understand how it creates value for you because you know how it works. And for that, you need simple experimentation. And that's complex enough. Uh, again, it's about starting with something small uh, and then test it how it works. So that's the only way that in an HR department, in an employee experience department or any department or any team, I should say, that is going to improve work in itself should be starting to understand because you're not going to get it from the big vendors because you know they create big modules that need to be tested first themselves they have a little bit of a left-in model as well before they launch a module that doesn't make you fast enough to keep up with what's available there so i would say 2023 is about experimenting piloting how it works start with something and collaborate with other companies because you don't have to do it yourself pick out companies that have more or less the same culture, have more or less the same uh, business processes, more or less the same way of dealing with people. And if each of you just pick out one or two experiments, then together you learn much, uh, much faster. And where to uh, then focus on, from my perspective, is particularly how can you access data about people and how they work? And I think we're still we're still uh, not good enough. And that's a very fundamental uh, first step to take that will take years to get it at a high level. We're behind in people-related uh, functions. Invest heavily in work collaboration and then keep on experiencing with that. Uh, how does it work? What is the maximum capacity for people to also use those uh, those tools? Telemarketplace, obviously, internal and external, I would say. Uh, start to redefine how the dynamics uh, work for your uh, for your company, 
Fourth one is a bit related to what you said, Jeff, around uh, WorkDeck itself. So how do you bring automation in, decision-making tools, etc.? Start experimenting with it because you want to make it human. Tech is not going to benefit your company if you don't know how your people are going to work with it, even if it means less people. But actually, I don't believe it means less people. It means more people because your company becomes more productive and will have more time to go after value-generating uh, initiatives for your company. So start with humanizing the work tech, uh, I would say. And last but not least, you didn't mention this one, Jeff. Uh, maybe it's a hobby horse now for me, but I believe that we, um, in the people-related function, have not put enough attention to what neuroscience insights can bring to us. Because yes, we finally, for a few years now, unfortunately due to, to, to the pandemic, that was a difficult word, we, uh, we focus now on mental well-being. But try to create it a little bit more positively from prevention into something positive. What if we better understand how our brain works? What is Jeff's brain, David's brain, Jeroen's brain? How is it wired? What makes me happy? Doesn't make Jeff happy? Doesn't make you happy, uh, David? Whether that is colors, whether that is situations, whether that is music, whether that is the way you approach your work. So I think there's a world to be won there. And in, the, in, in hospitals, as a neuroscientist, they know all of this already to a large extent. How can we learn faster? If you broke a leg, they know how your brain is reacting to helping you to walk again. How can we apply those insights in the workplace to make you happier, more fulfilled, and help you to learn uh, faster? So that's a big plea on the last one, to start experimenting with that, because we need it to really create a more sustainable world of uh, of work what do you foresee as the main challenges that could prevent or or delay achieving this this vision 2030 if we want to call it that and actually what factors could also accelerate yeah i, I think number one I, I think it is it is an amazing opportunity in 2023 to to do this zoom out exercise to have a point of view on where your business and people and technology strategies will be in 2030 and uh, I, I agree with Urin that there's sort of two paths forward here. There's an experimentation and an innovation path, but there is also a scaling path, right? And I think that what we've seen in talent marketplaces in the last five years, we talked about the evolution of Worky and Gloat, is that the, the sort of the core elements of a talent marketplace, um, creating agency and choice for employees to explore jobs and internal projects and mentors and learning and multiple career paths so that they have more opportunity inside their organization than outside are areas that companies should be moving beyond experimentation in 2023, and they should be moving into scale. And we talked about the agile approach um, to actually do that. I, I think the, the related piece here is there's an interesting dichotomy, if you will, in the skills-based economy discussion right now. Or maybe another way to put it is we're seeing people argue about which is the path forward. Is the path forward um, skills and data maturity, or is the path forward mobility and marketplace maturity? Look, my view, and I, again, I'm a vice president Claude, is we think that those are the, the vectors that determine the path forward. Every company is trying to both become more skills and data mature and they're trying to drive maturity. One is going north, the other is going east, if you can think about it that way. 
you need to move in both directions over the next couple of years. And you can't expect that one of those directions is going to happen without the other. Again, as I mentioned earlier, um, marketplaces, and we know this as economists and business economists, marketplaces produce information. I think if you ask me um, what can delay or accelerate it, I, I think that there's some paralysis going on. I, I think that some of the agility that we all saw and were part of during COVID, because we had to move quickly, we had to put in place collaborative technologies, remote work technologies, practically overnight, we did it. Um, I think one of the things that will delay moving forward towards 2030 is a bit of sort of analysis paralysis, right? Um, I think there's a lot of great lessons on and experiences on how to get started and actually how to have impact. What accelerates it is this, right? Companies that are implementing and have implemented talent marketplaces have seen, obviously, efficiency improvement. But more importantly, they have moved the needle on employee experience. That's what Patricia Frost told us at Seagate. That's what almost every Glow and Talent Marketplace client tells us as well. And as Tanoosh talked about and others have talked about and Yarun has talked about, they have innovated and created new business value. What accelerates and moves us beyond analysis paralysis is focusing on impact for the business and impact on the employee experience. What does it mean for HR professionals? What does it mean for HR professionals in terms of maybe some of the skills and capabilities they need to develop themselves so that they can actually help enable uh, what we've spoken about in the last sort of 45 minutes or so uh, within their organizations? Yeah, for me, it is staying on the uh, front foot. Yeah. So uh, I think we're living in a time where I would like to add to, to what Jeff is saying is uh, that we are paralyzed by cost again, rather than growing ourselves out of uh, of the problems because of inflation, because of stagnation or economic recessions that we're all very careful of. And it's all true. It's a reality. I'm not going to ignore that. But then you uh, you play defense and you don't play uh, offense. If that, I'm not an ice hockey player, but uh, it also works in uh, football. It also works in uh, field hockey. And uh, playing uh, offense often is uh, one more exciting, two often uh, much better because then you can dominate your uh, your game uh, much more than when you're playing uh, defense. And I think that's also the case in 2023. So where what is the one or two things? that you decide you're going to play offense, knowing that you also need to be very cautious about uh, cost, but then select at least one or two big initiatives that help you to also play offense. And I think the telemarketplace is one because it is very rich in terms of the value that it can bring, the use cases that it can bring. And what I would like to recommend for people that have not started yet or are in the early stage seek, seek your buddies in other companies, uh, collaborate to scale. Yeah? Not only collaborate to innovate, but also collaborate to scale. There's so many really useful use cases uh, available that you can learn from. We should actually start thinking about what kind of community of practices can be set up around use cases on how can you leverage the telemarketplace, as we did when we started to globalize and scale the systems of, uh, of records. What's that for the talent marketplaces and how on the back of that can we both scale and innovate uh, and therefore play uh, a de an, an offense uh, game. So I would I would recommend uh, that particularly for people to not uh, be uh, waiting. In the pandemic, we did it. In the pandemic, you move forward despite the threat that we have. So rather than 
what skills do you need to have, what courses you need to go to. I would say collectively work on the mindset, grab this opportunity now, remember what you did, how courageous you were during the pandemic, keep on moving forward and pick one. And if there is one thing that you would pick, I would say it is a telemarketplace. But maybe I'm biased. <laughs> well, Jeff, you're in. we've got to the, the final question. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be playing back this conversation later because there's, there's so much that I'm learning um, listening, to, listening to both of you as well. So this is a question that we're asking uh, everyone on this series. And I'll come to you again, Jeroen, first because you're definitely in flow at the moment. It, how can a company get started to successfully shift from a focus on jobs to instead a focus on skills? And appreciate you might be paraphrasing some of the, some of the um, comments that you've already given. First, start with agility as a mindset in your company. If you don't have that, then you should question if telemarketplace is the right thing to do. Then simply start with a telemarketplace. Uh, know which bubble you want to address uh, first. Focus on building your core skills taxonomy. Don't be uh, too detailed about it. Also work it. Try to work with inferred data so that you know what your people say, what your tests say, but work with inferred data. Let technology uh, work for you. Uh, and then the most important one, again, is just start. Uh, but that's what I would uh, would recommend, uh, David. And it's, it's a bit of a summary of what I try to consistently convey. No, no, that's absolutely perfect, Jeroen. And, and Jeff, anything to add to that? Uh, I, I'll, um, I'll double down on a couple of things that I've heard and summarize it this way. Um, I think if you are not, if you have not already started on a talent marketplace and the associated skills intelligence it creates, you should do that in 2023. I, I, I think one of the things that we are a little accustomed to doing in HR, but in other business functions, is putting in our plan for the year that we put something on the roadmap. Uh, I don't think 2023 and 2024 are years where we're going to get a lot of points on the board or score a lot of points in the game, whether it's football or hockey or field hockey, by saying that we're going to do something in 2024 or 2025. Um, the game has already changed. So we, we actually need to, to, to do something different in 2023. Uh, I, I think the other is, and we uh, I was briefly talking about this a moment ago, recognizing that moving from jobs as the main unit of analysis and mobility to both skills and interests. I don't think it's only skills, by the way. I think potential are the skills and developing skills, but also the interests and the needs and the aspirations of the business and the workers. This is a journey of both mobility and agency and skills and data maturity, right? And what's been so exciting in the last couple of years is seeing that uh, in an integrated journey, we can improve mobility and agency, the talent marketplace itself for projects, gigs, um, roles, mentors, learning. And because markets create information, it's very powerful. And of course, that we're going to be able to infer information from the activities in the marketplace. We can infer information from third-party data. But all of these things only happen, as Euron said, and I'm going to underscore, if you actually get started. Right. If you put a marketplace in place, if you put it in flow and you take an agile approach and you start moving and you continue to learn. Perfect. So everyone listening to this, get started if you haven't already. <laughs> uh, Jeff, Yaroon, thank you so much for, for being guests on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Final thing, can, can you let listeners know how they can find you on social media, 
find out more about your work and Jeff, I'll come to you first and find out more about um, your book, Workforce Ecosystems, which is out in a few weeks time, I guess. You can find me via glow.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I have a very active LinkedIn uh, channel where I'm trying to share my perspectives on what's happening. Jeff.s at gloat.com. And the book, um, Workforce Ecosystems, is coming out the first week in April. We're starting very aggressively marketing it. Um, and if you go to MIT Press and look for Workforce Ecosystems, you'll see all the information on the book and it'll be out. We're going to be talking about it uh, all over the world and uh, in the next couple of months. So we're looking forward to that. It's been a great conversation, David. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. And look after. And Yurin, how can how can people stay in touch with and you? Before we do so, Dave, we should ask a, ask a copy of the book from Jeff. Now that we are, yeah, still I think we up. should a signed copy, <laughs> signed copy of the book. Well. That's the most important thing. <laughs> on on the way, on the way, gentlemen. And for the socials, <laughs> well, I I tend to keep my Instagram for my friends, so I I hope that I can keep it like that. And my daughter is way too active on it anyhow. But uh, I'm soon going to post more insights uh, at the People at Work Innovation Collective uh, LinkedIn page as well as on my own page so uh, people can uh, can go there. It was great again to uh, to talk. Last thing for me to say, thank you very much and uh, look forward to seeing you both uh, again in person, hopefully very soon. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Jaron. Thank you for tuning in to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Jeff and Yurun provided an incredible amount of insight into the future of talent marketplaces and their place in the world of work, and it was a pleasure conversing with them. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes, and please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so we can keep supporting the HR field. For more from us at Insight 222, and to keep up with the latest industry trends, sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. Until the next time, take care and stay well.